halftime entertainment decided to play the Fields of Athen Rye, it's not exactly a rousing, rampaging, let's get the blood up for the second half song. No, our anthem is, isn't great. Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB Sports app. Oh, the shame that will get. If you've let all the fans down. Can we not knock it? It's a fact. I love playing mind games and talking about facts. I always said if I was Aladici, I would probably say I was more of a tactical genius. Yeah, I answer questions on anything. Uh, religious, politics, uh, health, you know, sexual uh, problems. Look at his face! Just look at his face! None of you except for those two have done anything to justify the money that you earn. None of you! Disgrace! And I suggest you shut up and show more football. Now you're welcome along to Team 33 and a call here with you for the next hour or so. So Stephen Kenny's first campaign as Ireland manager has come to an end. The World Cup in Qatar 2022 is not going to be somewhere that Ireland are competing. Finishing third in Group A, they are finished behind Serbia who finished top of the group, Portugal who finished second and just ahead, vitally just ahead of Luxembourg because of a 3-0 win in Luxembourg on the final group. Uh, game of the campaign but how does this campaign compare to the 2018 World Cup campaign that Ireland also did not qualify for under Martin O'Neill that is what we're going to be discussing tonight and to do so I'm joined on the line by my co-host of the Huddle Breakdown which is a podcast that looks at the performance in XG of Celtic we're going to be taking that sort of look at these two campaigns as well Juco, uh, Juco James as I said on Twitter James how are you getting on? I'm doing well, and you should disclose to viewers that this is uh, not my virginity in this. You're not taking my virginity today. We did this one other time a while back. Uh, It's like, I don't know, a good time, uh, maybe seven, eight months ago or something. But Yeah, it was uh, was about halfway through the the campaign, I think. Yeah, yeah. So I I have looked at at the squad and the team a little bit in the past, uh, but got a refresher here in preparation for this. Yeah, look, so... The reason I sort of wanted to do this for a while now is because there's a perception in football that you can't get past. When people have biases, they take that into the arguments and it be that positive towards Stephen Kenny, negative towards Stephen Kenny. People are going into the Irish side and their perception of it with biases initially. And one of the biases that we're talking about here is that Martin O'Neill, who was a very successful manager in his day, a very successful player in his day, got results. He was successful. Celtic hero in his day. Celtic hero in his day as well. And not to diss him or downgrade what he did as a manager in his career, the perception behind him is that he was a winning manager. He got results. Even if he didn't play the right type of football, he still got results. Now, the bias going into Stephen Kenny from one side is that he's a League of Ireland manager who's not good enough for the senior team. The the other side of that is the positive side of Stephen Kenny that people think he is the revolutionary of Irish football that it's going to take a long time, but they believe in him. So it's been very polarized. I'm not sure that's come across to you, James. No, I, I, I have heard and seen that um, with, with, uh, following off the ball a little more in the last couple of years, I get a decent flow of um, some of that conversation. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, and obviously I've, I've uh, w- uh, familiar with uh, O'Neill's tenure at, at Celtic. Um, 
and and I learned more about Kenny, as I said, over the last couple of years. I, I can't pretend that I follow the uh, Republic of Ireland League um, w- with any kind of, of consistency. But yeah, yeah, it's kind of uh, Kenny's more of a school of possession dominant, uh, you know, kind of the Pep Guardiola revolution. Um, that wave that, that started to really take over about, uh, you know, 10, 10, 12 years ago is kind of the, the genesis of that to a degree. Um, but as well, I think we'll come on to, I think there's a lot of challenges with that on, uh, for, and I've seen, we've seen that with the U S men's national team, uh, with Klinsman's tenure and now into, uh, the Burhalter reign, uh, is, is how do you pragmatically deal with um, a player pool relative to trying to have a possession dominant style um, because you can't go out and recruit. Well, although the U S is starting to do that, they're getting all of these dual nationals that they've been, (laughs) they've been uh, quote unquote recruiting to, to join up. But um, so, yeah, I, I think it's a really fascinating um, storyline and also just challenge because these culture, you know, I joke it's uh, religion, politics, and football, right? So mm-hmm. everyone, you, you debate these things and people have their belief systems uh, and trying to get them off of them oftentimes has nothing to do with any kind of like good faith, rational debate. It's people believe what they believe and, you know, it's tough to get a, a, a objective dialogue. So unlike uh, re- religion and, and politics, we can look at some, uh, statistics and metrics for for uh for football and at least try to get an anchoring of of reality as far as what's going on through measurements but um yeah so yeah so i guess we'll we'll get into it and look i'm going to set the scene i'm going to give some context to everything because there is context to everything some people again will see this as excuses but i i'm going to put all my cards on the table I'm going to say that I'm pro Stephen Kenny going into it, but I'm open to um, learning whether or not my what I'm seeing on the on the screen or at the game is actually matching up and, and, and what is happening within the Irish structure. I will say that the difference between recruitment and what you can do at international level is that Ireland are trying to develop players that will suit uh, a certain style. Um, in the next couple of years, we're seeing that with the under-21. So hopefully in a few years' time, we might be at a stage where the players do match up with the system that we're trying to play. But aside from that, I'll give you the context going into this. So the 2018 uh, World Cup campaign under Martin O'Neill, the group is a group of six as, a gr- as opposed to a group of five. So that will be taken accounted for. Serbia, Wales, Austria, Georgia and Moldova are the sides that Ireland were matched up against in the group stage. Uh, ten games in total in the uh, in the group stage, six-game group, as I said, in Ireland squad, and you have to take into account the fact that the World Cup campaign for 2018 starts in 2016, so I've done it in the terms of the starting squad for that World Cup. In the starting squad, 15 Premier League players um, in the, in the uh, Ireland squad for 2018, and then in the in terms of the world rankings, and I know world rankings aren't the be all and end all because you can change them depending on how many friendlies you play. Ireland ranked twenty third in the world at this point. Serbia ranked forty fourth, and Wales were ranked twelfth after their Euro campaign. Um, so you're looking at a fairly strong Ireland side that are almost top twenty in the world, and you're looking at a lot of Premier League players. Can I the, butt in quick? 
Yes, go ahead. So, so just based off of that context, you would say if if they were going to perform up to expectations, they would finish second in the group. And they did. Right. Yeah. So they eventually do finish second in the group. They win five games. They draw four games and they lose one game in total in that campaign. 19 points in total, 12 goals for, six goals against. And Ireland are eventually beaten well beaten by Denmark in the playoffs 5-1, that famous game in the Aviva Stadium. Now, we'll, we'll compare that to 2022, which was the previous campaign just passed. Now, Ireland go into that with a group of five. So one less team in the group, Serbia, Portugal, Luxembourg, and Azerbaijan are the teams in the Ireland squad. There are 11 Premier League players to start off. That is downgraded quite a bit in the following year because of the relegations of Sheffield United and several players moving into the championship. Some players even moving down into League One as well. Ireland go into this campaign ranked 42nd in the world. Portugal are the highest ranked team, ranked 5th. Serbia ranked 30th in the group uh, or in the world ranking. So they're ahead of Ireland at this point, whereas they were behind Ireland when they were in the 2018 group with them. As I mentioned, Ireland finished third in this group, only won two games, drew two, drew three, and lost three as well. So, James, your general thoughts on that? So what you're telling me is that they were ranked second, finished second, relative to the teams in the group. And in this group, the most latest group, they were ranked third, and they finished third. Mm-hmm. So to me, that's important context, meaning that um, – I, I talk about this within the context of Celtic and, and uh, Scottish football quite a bit, which is uh, players play the game. Players are the most important part of this entire mosaic. Uh, managers get a lot of the attention. Um, they are um, the stars in some respect, a focal point of, de- of debate. Their decisions, you know, um, are, are, probably the most um, uh, talked about aspect of, of what goes on as, as football fans. But ultimately, the overwhelming majority of how and why a team performs the way they do is how good are their players relative to the competition. And I think that's the way you frame things. Uh, I didn't know you were going to do it that way relative to the number of Premier League players. I mean, I think there's probably a lot of ways that we could do that and refine that. But I think it's a decent, simple proxy. It's a, it's a, it's a mm. coherent, um, uh, I think, a, a smart way to do it, at least begin the conversation. Um, so, you know, both campaigns, they kind of performed the way that you would expect, given where the national team is. And it sounds like there was a relative change in talent level, potentially, that would suggest they went from kind of a th- second place kind of team to a third place kind of team um i i to me the 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 bigger discussion and why i when i initially looked at kenny it made a lot of sense to me is that infrastructure part the culture the building of a identity as a nation and building out the youth program and making it make sense bringing coherence and quality of coaching all the way up and down to almost like a technical director in the club setting. Mm -hmm. To me, that's, you know, uh, from a long-term perspective, perspective you've seen with Iceland and, you know, some of these smaller 
countries that have even Luxembourg, you know, some, some of these countries that have really um, got their act together from youth football all the way up um, to me that that's his actual like selections and strategy and games. That's important on the margin, but ultimately and style play, all that stuff is going to be important on the margin, but ult- it, really it's going to be, okay, how good are these kids coming up through and are you playing the good kids? That's the other thing. And rather than the, yeah. you know, the 32 year old who's in decline, that's got a hundred caps, who's playing just because of a name rather than the fire breathing 22 year old, who's going to run through brick walls and, you know, maybe be more athletically competitive at that level. <clears throat> yeah. So the reason I use the Premier League as a proxy is because, uh, Ireland has always produced Premier League players until about 10 years ago when all of the foreign imports into the Premier League started to catch up with them and no, they're no longer the number one uh, exporter of players into Britain. Uh, on the on the, the squad and the, the overturn of, of players and what you were saying there about uh, playing the younger players as opposed to playing the older players, that was something Stephen Kenny definitely did in this 22 campaign the likes of Gavin Bazunu who's playing for Rochdale um in the league in league 1 uh, was our starting goalkeeper uh Andrew Omamadele uh, barely say, playing for Norwich. Say that I want to hear you say that five times fast. <laughs> Omamadele he's a absolutely <laughs> phenomenal player whose name I will be happy enough to remember for a long time. Norwich playing for Norwich in the championship in their uh, Premier League push and then initially not really playing for them at the start of this season, but has broken into the side. The likes of Josh Cullen, who was playing for Anderlecht, but not really playing for Ireland at all. Crazy. Knight, Absolutely for crazy. Yep. Yeah. Playing in the championship for Derby County. Um, uh, Ogbeni, the list goes on. There were about eight or nine different players who were very young, not really playing club football all that much, but playing for Ireland because they needed to get uh, to get into the side. Well, we start with the 2018 campaign, though, because I, I guess it's important to lay the structure for any discussion around the 22 campaign and how it compares. The context for this campaign is that Ireland had a really good Euros. Um, Martin O'Neill, the feeling around him was very strong. Irish fans were still quite on board with Martin O'Neill at this point in time. A group with Wales in it was obviously going to be difficult because they did so well at the Euros. Austria, a strong side. Serbia, a strong side. And Ireland finishing second here is actually quite a good finish comparable to the opposition that they're playing at this point. So what, to your mind, does this side look like when you look at the metrics behind them? Yeah, so... um what I did is basically pull down all of the um, data out of Y Scout, which is a, a fairly common in the industry uh, data provider and and uh, video platform that, that people use to to evaluate talent uh, using video, and it's fairly comprehensive statistics. They they um, go through and quantify every game, every action, and every game. Uh, with these video analysts and basically so you have uh, the O'Neill team averaged uh, let's call it 1.03 goals per 90 minutes so that's a common way of doing it not necessarily per game because you know one game's 100 minutes the next game's 93 minutes so one way to normalize all that is you 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 do it by 90 minute um, 
increments. You normalize everything to 90 minutes. So everything I'm going to talk about here is per 90 minutes, not per game or that kind of thing. So they they, they averaged 1.03 goals per 90 minutes um, and conceded 0.87 goals per 90 minutes. Okay, so there's deviation there. They, they conceded five to Denmark, it looks like, in the last game. So that, you know, that's included in the average. So, you know, averages are just that. You've got to look at the composition of the averages as well as an analyst, but we're not going to get too crazy today. Um, then you have expected goals, which is basically a proxy for quality of chances. So what they do is they take tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of comparable shots since this really came about in the 14-15 and then 15-16 season globally, all of the senior leagues, whether they're in Brazil they're in South Africa, they're in Australia. They code all of these games. So you can ima imagine with all of those leagues, all of those games, all of those shots that rolled up very fast and they create a model that says, okay, similar shots from this position, this kind of pass that preceded it, they went in 15% of the time. They went in 10% yeah. of the time. So that's what XG is. It basically takes all the shots in the game, assigns a value to them, which is a probability so you can think of XG as a probability um, for each shot and then roll that up. So their um, XG over that period was uh, 1.19. Okay. Mm -hmm. So they underperformed a little bit. So their XG was a little higher than what they actually scored. Uh, and they conceded 1.09. So um, they actually were a little lucky on that side where it's only conceded 0.87 goals. Um, so, their quality of chances that they were conceding was was actually, you know, a good bit higher than actually what they can they conceded. Maybe they had a better keeper. I don't know. Um, so again, I didn't analyze the team down to that level. Could have been really good keeper play. Could have just been luck that the teams that they were playing were their finishing was bad uh, in in certain games. Um, so that that's, so can I just yeah can I just hop in and explain why this is important because yep. um, a lot of people are very uh, aware of xg but i i feel like they criticize it before they know what it truly is yep. um the reason this is important they, they call me that... stat they call me spreadsheet shagger that's what i get called <laughs> that's the <laughs> scottish twitter for you yes. um, but the, it's it's important because essentially what this explains is if ireland have 12 shots on goal that's the that's the top line stat if their xg is Point four. it's pointless having those 12 shots because that means those 12 shots had a really low probability of going in and right. therefore over a long stretch of games if you if you have 12 shots on target but your xg is still 0.4 that means that you're taking a load of pot shots that will won't go in for most of the most of the shots that you actually take and if you do that over a long stretch of games that's going to end up in fewer goals yeah that's so you've had managers in the past that have um even going back to, you know, again, as a, as a Celtic supporter, Jock Steen, you, you've had um, people that have intuitively known some of these things in the past that have tailored the way they played, you know, like a, a Guardiola having his players walk the ball into the net, right? Pass around until you get such a good chance that you can walk it into the net. What analytics has done with the, with the data revolution has done is to really be able to model the degree with which the disparity here is so a lot of those quote unquote pot shots that people take from 20, 22, 25 yards literally have like a 1% chance of going in between mm -hmm. one to 
a lot of those shots are just extremely low probability. Like, uh, you know, I've, I've played some craps in my life. So that's like rolling two sixes with, with dice, right? That kind of low probability. It just doesn't happen that often. Now, can you roll two, can you roll six, uh, double sixes two times in a row? Yes, it happens. Like you can hit two shots from 30 yards in one game. It can happen. But if you do it over a long period of time, just like betting on double sixes, you're going to go broke. Right. Mm -hmm. So um, what we found out with the XG revolution is that when you get central and inside the box and the closer you get it, it's kind of a a linear relationship. You get, uh, you know, within kind of 12 to six yards central in that area, you're talking about 40 percent. 50% 50% type of, of shots. So you think about the scaling of that 1% versus 40%. That's, you know, crazy. So would you rather take 10 shots from 25 yards or would you rather pass the ball around to get one shot f- for a 40% chance? Yeah. And the math is simple, right? So ha- obviously the best thing to do is to get 12 shots from, <laughs> from, from uh, central and close. Um, and, and there is a sliding scale with this There's a strategy, not say never take a, a shot from distance, right? Not all shots from distance are created equal angled ones or a train wreck. Usually you take them central from just outside the box are actually pretty good shots. A lot of the times, some of this has to do with positioning of the keeper and defenders. So more advanced XG models are now capturing all of this. So when people hear XG, there are different models. Some of them measure different things. This is where I always talk about data is one thing analytics is a different thing, right? So just because you have the data on it doesn't mean you're actually getting any insight. The the criticism that people can twist data and interpret it any way they want to confirm their narrative. So to your point, uh, people that have a a religion of a certain way of football, they're going to be able to use stats however they want to justify their position. Mm -hmm. They can pervert it, right? So it's analyzing, asking questions, and really trying to get an objective view as far as what's going on. And that's that's the exercise we, I went through with you, because, again, I kind of cheer for Ireland, but I'm not a rabid Ireland fan. They're they're about where I am with Peru, with my in-laws. My wife's Peruvian, her family's Peru. And, you know, so my, my heritage is Irish. But, um, you know, I, I uh, the U.S. national teams, the national team I, I, I follow and support the most. But um, so I, I try to t- take a look at this from a try to a, a purely objective um, perspective. So what else are we seeing with the 2018 team then with O'Neill? Yeah, so uh, passing was was not a lot. They went long a decent percentage. Um, so these pretty direct. Uh, their average, so this was an interesting um, metric I had. If you look at their average distance from goal, so their average distance for a shot um, was almost 17 yards. So again, you're thinking your average shot is basically right at the 18 yard line almost. Um, so that also reflects in the average XG per shot as another metrics, like what's your average quality of the chance that you're you're having. Um, and that was a uh, point, let's call it 0.107, right? Uh, so that that's kind of, you know, good teams really um, get up into that 0.12. It sounds like small differences, but... Um, you know, 0.12, 0.13, you get into like the elite teams that dominate their leagues, like a Bayern Munich or um, l- like a Man City where the talent level, you know, bar- peak Barcelona. 
mm-hmm. you, you're, you're getting up closer to 0.15, 0.16. Kind of your run-of-the-mill teams are closer to 0.1 or even a little lower. So that, that kind of gives you a scaling of this. And they, so, you know, the, at 0.107, you're tilting more towards lower quality chances um, and just kind of hoping variance works in your direction man. that in a big game, you, you hope you hit a couple of those long shots or, you know, you, you, you do get, uh, it, it, the, the other thing I should, um, clarify on this is that generally speaking, uh, crosses and, and, um, corners are low probability, right? So that's another thing. So, um, uh, teams will focus on set pieces to really ramp that up. But the difference on that is, you know, like your average, uh, before delivery, I mean, just that you have a corner, you're talking like a two, two to three percent chance of scoring. Mm. Uh, now, can you ramp that up because you've got Shane Duffy and you have a set piece coach? Maybe you turn that into a seven percent chance, right? But it's still a seven percent chance. So it's fine margins on this. So yeah, the 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 um, the, the xG per shot was, you know, I would say closer to the low end of of what. Um, teams would expect, okay. uh, especially for a team that, that finished second, right? So I think you would have a little bit more control. Uh, possession was very low relative, again, for the second best team in the, uh, you know, based on the rankings that you mentioned, the second best team. Uh, you have that. What was the, what was their possession? Uh, 38%. So, you know, you're looking at basically 40, 60 uh, mm-hmm. the opposition having 60% possession. And, you know, that was not an outlier, meaning that even against, uh, let's see, I think it's Malta. Moldova. Yeah. Or Moldova. Yeah. Even against Moldova, uh, they had 46% possession. Right. So that, that speaks to a style of play um, mm-hmm. where you're, you're not looking to dominate the ball. You're, you're looking to kind of break and capitalize on quickness, like lightning strikes, um, which again, there's a theory, uh, there's theoretical conversation on this and an intellectual debate, which is if you've got the better players, do you, should you be giving possession to your opponent that much? Um, I don't know. It, it, room for yeah, debate. Well, the, the one that stands out to me is the, the game that I felt I sort of turned against what um, what Martin O'Neill was doing with this Ireland side, and that was the game against Georgia, one of the games against Georgia, the one that came at home that Ireland won uh, 1-0 in the end. But Georgia actually had more possession in that game than Ireland yeah. did. And I know it sounds, uh, you know, possession doesn't win the games, goals do, but the fact that Georgia were able to come to Ireland and dominate uh, in terms of the style of play and the possession. Right. That's when I, when I was sort of like, okay, this is not how I want my national team to be playing football and approaching games. We are the better side. We are at home. We should be going out and dominating this team. Yeah. So I, again, I, I don't think there's anything inherent that possession football is better than in that um, you, you can have, incredibly dangerous counterattacking style 
teams um, that actually create higher quality chances with less of the ball. I mean, when they break, they're able to get through balls and one-on-ones on keepers. And um, so I suspect that game was similar to that because if you look at the, the stats from that game, the XG for Ireland was 1.49. Uh, so they you know, kind of scored about what they should have. Again, one single game XG, the, the variance in soccer, f- football or soccer is so wide game to game that, that always keep that in mind, meaning that you can have XG of 0.6 in a game and score four goals because you happen to hit four goals, you know, have four shots that were really good. Uh, so it's just a it's it, it's a gauge of the quality of chances in a game. So Ireland only had eight non penalty shots that game. So we always qualify non penalty because of that's not open play, right? A penalty um, has an xg value typically of between 0.75 and 0.8, depending on the model. So extremely high. So that can skew numbers quite a bit. So one way that we try to look at open play specifically to again another way of gauging. Um, the quality of play that's going on. So uh, Georgia had XG of that game of 1.04. So very easily could have scored. Um, mm. And they actually had more shots than, than um, Ireland. It was eight, eight shots to 10. So, um, you know, as they say on another day, that's always that, always that uh, phrase on another day. So when you have an XG differential, they call it, if you look at the relative disparity in XG in any game, the, the closer uh, you get, the more it's just like a coin flip, right? You just do things like Monte Carlo simulation. You just kind of look statistically, what are the odds that you're going to win or draw or lose a game? And if you, if you, the farther you stretch that out, that relationship really starts to tilt your odds big time. And you get up to like one, a differential of one, which doesn't happen at often in international football because of, um, there's a lot of reasons we won't get into, but, uh, but the further you can stretch that out, you know, the, the, the better for your probabilities in any any one off game. Yeah. So that that was not I, I would not characterize that as a dominant performance. That that was more of a coin flip kind of underlying performance um, that worked out. Um, but that's you know, if you play a lot of coin flip games, there will be campaigns even where you have good success. Uh, where you just have a bunch of heads that you flip in a row and you called heads and wow, you know, let it ride, baby. You know, it's like betting black at the, at the, uh, at, at the roulette wheel. You, you can have a run of good results, even though the underlying performance is, you know, basically just kind of, and that's, I would say that kind of campaign, when I look at, it, at the full assessment, if they were the second highest ranked team, have all that talent on it, you know, and I, we'll get to that when we compare the the underlying Kenny um, for metrics from from the most recent campaign. Yeah, so we're going to do that um, after the break. We do have to take a quick ad break now, so we'll what? come back and we'll do ad the break. what? Yeah. This isn't normal for me. This is what's going on Live here. Radio. You got all professional on this platform. I unbelievable. That's it. We will take a quick break. We'll come back and we'll do Stephen Kenny's campaign and how that compares with this as well. So stay tuned to that. Team 33. This is OTB Sports Radio. Now you're welcome back to Team 33 and a call here with you until about 10 o'clock this evening. If you're listening in and you want to get in contact with the show, you can text us on 53106. Let us know how you feel about the Ireland team, about Stephen Kenny and about the, the previous campaign and any thoughts you have on the conversation as well. Juco James is with me, my co-host of the Huddle Breakdown podcast, because we're taking a look at the 
underlying data and uh, the sort of the stats between the 2018 campaign with Martin O'Neill and the 2022 campaign with Stephen Kenny. Before the break, we did Martin O'Neill. We'll get into the Stephen Kenny stuff now then, James. 2022 campaign, Ireland finishing third in the Group A, Portugal-Serbia going through. Um, well, Serbia qualifying straight away. Portugal have to go into the playoffs. This um, this was a campaign that didn't start well for Stephen Kenny, and there was a lot of pressure on him. It was his first uh, campaign as Ireland boss. And look, I don't think Ireland are a consistent qualifier for the World Cup anyway, so not to go to the World Cup is disappointing, but not all that surprising. In terms of the performances, again, just the context of what we're talking about here, there are two sides to it. People who love Stephen Kenny, who think he deserves a long time and who thinks he's changing football for the better in Ireland. And there are the people who are waiting for Stephen Kenny to fail. So that's where we're going into. We're going to try to find a middle ground somewhere here and we'll do so by going through some of the numbers. So uh, in terms of Stephen Kenny's Ireland against uh, 2018 World Cup, uh, Martin O'Neill Ireland, um, where are you seeing some differences? What What are the numbers telling us about this team? Yeah, so I, I would say from um, everything that I've looked at and what you've described, um, even today when you talked about the rankings of the relative teams, um, Ireland's talent pool, let's, let's compare the quality of players available that were being selected. Um, uh, I think it's fairly clear that within that context, an objective um, analytical assessment is that this campaign performed better than that prior campaign. I, I actually don't think it's that close, uh, meaning that the, there, there's a pervasiveness of um, improvements on a relative basis. So I can I can share some of those. Uh, so, for example, um, now let, let, let's go back. So goal, just goals per game. Again, we'll talk about goals. For we'll get into the the, uh, the, as they call advanced stats, like XG in a second, but uh, goals per game, or I shouldn't say goals per game. See, I just, I got to correct myself. I just went through a whole goals per 90 entry. minutes. Yeah. Per, per 90 minutes. Uh, screw myself up here. So goals per 90 minutes under the, the we'll call it the Kenny campaign was 1.28. So that, that was um, 20, about let's call it 20% improvement in, in goals scored per 90 minutes. Uh, goals conceded were up about 6%. Okay. So again, there's two ways to win, <laughs> right? If you're scoring, if your growth rate on your scoring is higher than what you're conceding, but that story is going to get a little bit better here in a second. So overall, the netting of that, if you look at the differential, was a little bit better in, in, uh, in the Kenny campaign. Uh, if we look at, um, and we'll call the. I'm going to back out the the penalties. There was only one penalty, I believe, in the Kenny campaign, and two, I believe, in the O'Neill campaign. So I've backed all those out and recalculated everything, looking at non-penalty uh, goals. So, and again, we do that just a reminder before the break. We mentioned it's just because of the um, significant impact that penalties have on on XG because of how high of a probability they are. So if you know if you have a guy that gets tackled dribbling away from the goal near the near the end line uh he, he there's no you know real risk of him scoring from there yet uh it ends up generating a, a an xg value with the penalty that's you know almost 80 mm-hmm. percent. so that's the, the 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 reason why we do it that way so the non-penalty xg 
actually went up about 5% versus the O'Neill campaign. So that's an improvement there. And Mm -hmm. uh, non-penalty XG conceded went down 5%, right? So that's a spread, right? 5% here, 5% here, both in the right direction. I mean, it's good when you limit chances. So you want that number going down. So that's a 10% improvement when you net all that out. Um, so that's, that's pretty good. And, and not only is that directionally good, you're doing it with a team that's weaker relative to the team pool, meaning that they were slotted third in, in the pot rather than second, right? So a 10% improvement there is better than a 10% if they had been lateral, right? Yeah. Kind of the, the quality of opponent. As you've talked about, Serbia got quite a bit better um, between the two campaigns. And they played Serbia both times, right? That's the one. Yeah. Yeah, that's the, that's the the big um, uh, carryover. Uh, some other things that you know, possession was higher, um, but it wasn't crazy. It's not like he's, you know, the, the player pool is what the player pool is. He's not going to be playing Barcelona style or you know Pep Guardiola Man City style. Uh, so it went from thirty eight percent to basically forty four percent. But the difference is when you get into and I'll pull it up by um, by game is. Um, you know, in Luxembourg, uh, they had 51%. Uh, at home versus Azerbaijan, they had 62%. So again, we talked about that, uh, uh, the, the game against Moldova, where Moldova had more possession in Dublin. I'm assuming that game was in Dublin, right? It was Georgia, yeah, the Georgia game. Oh, it was Georgia game, the Georgia game, right. Yeah. So the Georgia game, uh, well, yeah, even the Moldova game, uh, I think that's even a bigger because I think Georgia is a higher ranked team than, than Moldova, um, mm-hmm. at least at that time, 47% possession at home against Moldova. Right. So that, that, that's just not, a, it, it, again, that's not inherently bad. It just speaks to the style of play and, and control of the game. Let's call it. Um, yeah. For, for context that Moldova finished last in the group with two points, no wins, eight losses and conceded 23 goals. So right. They were not a good side. Right, exactly. Um, so, if you're, kind of the point there is, if you're not going to dominate possession in that game, when are you when are you going to do it? Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, I think that that's important context. So, the improvement of controlling games against teams that you can impose that onto, I think, was was something that um, um, w- w- that you were able to identify in in this campaign, or at least begin to see that trending. Uh, XG per shot. Um, went up 3%, so not a huge increase, but I had mentioned it was 0.107 under the O'Neill campaign. It was 0.112, uh, I'm sorry, 111 under um, under Kenny. Um, but at the same time, you also had a um, 5% reduction in uh, XG per shot conceded, okay? Um, so the average shot quality that you were conceding I'm sorry, it was actually down 16%. I looked at the wrong line, down 16%. So the opposition's average quality shot was down 16%. So again, we talk about the spread, that difference. You want to limit chances from your opposition and improve your chances. So not only did it happen overall in non-penalty XG, more XG for Ireland, less for the opposition, the average chance, so it's the composition of those shots and the qualities went up a little bit here for for our for Ireland and down for the opposition. So again, that's improvement. That's you net all of that out. That's kind of an internal 
um, positive that you're limiting chances. And this all happened on not, you know, the, the change in non-penalty shots was actually down 5%. So they went from averaging 10 and a half shots per game to 10. That's not a huge difference, but again, it's not like they're flinging it's quality over quantity is kind of the idea. And that's, that's, you see this reflected in, um, in the statistics. So the other things, again, improvement on uh, things like passing long um, touches in the box. So the amount of long passes went down again, that would correlate with control of the game, a little bit more possession, but still at a reasonably high level. I mean, you had games like against a Portugal or a better side where they're not, what I would say is Kenny's not showing a, um, a militant dogmatic embrace of a possession style of football. He, it seems like he's deploying it more, a little bit more pragmatically. So again, teams that he can do it against and it makes sense. And then, you know, it's not like he's trying to go toe to toe with, with Portugal and try to impose against them a little bit more direct, a little bit more long ball, a little more counterattack, a little more bunkering and defending the box, um, that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. I, I, it, 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 I see coherence here. Like I, when I look at everything, I see a coherent plan and it makes sense as far as how they're doing things, where they're doing it relative to the opposition. Um, so to me, that's all encouraging, uh, you know, a- a- entries into the box. So how many times does the ball go into the box up 24% uh, entries conceded only up 2%. So again, relative big difference, big shift yeah. in, in the favorable side. Uh, same thing with touches in the box. Um, so, you know, this is why I say it's it's not just XG. Like it, if, if it was just XG, you could say, well, you know, it could just be talent difference. Or maybe they had a good striker relative to the other one and they could, you know, their movement got them into good positions. I, I see kind of a soup to nuts front to back, like coherence as far as why when you piece the puzzle together, it's a fairly robust, pervasive improvement across the board. And not only is it um, robust and pervasive, it makes sense. You know what I mean? It's not like it's just kind of weird stuff springing up that you, you could kind of draw your Jackson Pollock painting and call it whatever you want. There, there's that yeah. coherence. So as we sort of reach for a conclusion from all this, then the Martin O'Neill era was very renowned for big results. So they got a big result against Germany to beat them when Germany were the current world champions to qualify for the Euros. At the Euros, they beat Sweden. They beat Italy. Granted, Italy were already through, so they played their second side. That's not really uh, debatable at this point. And then at one point in time, they were 1-0 ahead of France um, before a penalty and before France eventually knocked them out. But Martin O'Neill was renowned for these big results. Are we saying then with this Stephen Kenny uh, thing that with the current underlying data that we're seeing, the results will be more consistent over a long period of time as opposed to getting, like Martin O'Neill, big results, but ultimately the same finish in the campaign Ireland not going to the World Cup they're still getting big results but they still have a similar enough uh, finish so are we seeing probably the probability of Ireland having a more consistent uh, chain of results is going up under Stephen Kenny and will continue to improve is that what you would imagine yeah so I'm going to characterize this in a way that I'm almost can guarantee that uh, most 
football supporters and highly unlikely that Martin O'Neill or uh, Kenny would think of it this way. But um, if you think about it from a variance perspective, right, as an underdog, you want volatility. You want you want crazy. You want chaos because you want to try. You know, you need some luck a lot of the time to beat a team that has better players. And O'Neill's strategy was more tailored towards being able to do that so they could pick off a giant um, playing counterattack, which suited the way he wanted to play anyway. Um, and, you know, to take uh, shots from outside the 18-yard box might be all you get against some of those teams like a Germany, right? So the style that he was playing uh, was kind of optimized or more optimized for that kind of an opponent, but less so for teams that he should be beating, right? And we talk about that, whether it's Georgia or Moldova. So over a period of time, I would think the way that this is likely to play out because of the more pragmatic approach that Kenny's um, taking is they would they should, over time, drop less points against teams that they should be beating because they're taking the variance out of that game. Meaning that when, when Ireland are the favorite against um, uh, a Moldova in the future, um, the probability of Moldova, you know, somehow hitting two shots from outside the 18 yard box is going to go down. Again, it's all probabilities. Mm-hmm. And when you're talking about eight game campaigns, right? Well, these, we'll, these we'll actually use this. We'll, we'll use this campaign as the prime example for that because Azerbaijan right. did exactly that uh, against Ireland in this campaign. They took one right. shot outside the box and it went was in. a brilliant shot that went in that ended right. up in a draw game. So what you're expecting is less of that. Yeah, well, or or you're just the idea is that you're going to reduce the probabilities of that. Yes. So mm-hmm. over a stretch of time, the number of times that that's going to happen is going to go down because you're limiting the amount of times that the opposition have the ball. Right. And if you're playing defense, if you're limiting shots and you're limiting chances to lower quality by definition over a sample size, it's going to work out in your favor. That's the problem, particularly in international football is your sample size is so small and you can roll double sixes, you know, three rolls in a row sometimes. This is where having a strategic plan and um, following it, as long as it's coherent, makes sense, rather than whipsawing between. I mean, I, I remember uh, the last time we did this, there was rumors, I think, of Mick McCarthy. Uh, you know, some people talking about him wanting to come come back in, uh, or not come to Ireland and replace Kenny. I was like, you got to be. You know, that would be such a divergence from what uh, this regime has started to put in place, which to me makes sense. And and as long as the results are going in the right direction, um, say hello to Ireland. Hello. <laughs> That's Miss Tanya. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that that's that's basically um Stick, stick to the plan because you're getting the the output that you want. You're getting the improvement. And to me, it's happening in a way that is coherent. They're not gambling. They're, they're, they're doing it in a way that uh, strong opposition, they're playing sensible, sensibly, and they're dominating against teams that they should dominate. And again, one of the things that we've talked about in the past is getting more goals. That was always the, the challenge, yeah. right? The, the timing of those goals. And once you start scoring, what can happen? Well, what happened once they started scoring? Some of those shots finally started going in. I mean, yeah. to be to go into Luxembourg and beat to win three nil, 
big shot. How was the private jet, by the way? The OTB private jet was that good? <laughs> no, wasn't wasn't quite a, a private jet. Wasn't quite uh, a private jet. And- um, but that's what's happening now. The the, the chances are tra- starting to translate. You know, if you stick to it, what happens usually if the underlying metrics are suggesting improvement and quality, results typically follow. Now, how long it takes for that to happen? Imagine if they would have uh, sacked Kenny when we had we did this last. I mean, that would have been crazy. Um, yet it was probably seriously discussed and debated. Um, so I, I hope they stick with it because, as I said then, at the initial stages, it looked like you could see this going in the right direction if there was some patience. I, if anything, I think there's more evidence for that now um, and, and more encouragement. Uh, and okay. scoring some goals, which that's that's a big deal. It's the most important thing. It's yep. the most important thing. And it also breeds confidence as well. And confidence leads to better play. So I mean there's there's a I, I think there's a lot of things to be positive about this uh, this campaign, even if it didn't end the way that we would have wanted wanted to. All of this will be available on the OTV Sports uh, website. By the way, we're gonna write up a quick piece and it'll explain all of this as well. If you want if you prefer to read it. You can get it on the OTV Sports app or on the OTV Sports uh, website as well. James, thanks very much for doing that tonight. No problem. My pleasure. All right. So if you want to get more James, you can hear him, as I said, on the Huddle Breakdown. Yes, I'm going to plug my own podcast, but it's a weekly show that you'll get to hear loads of this uh, discussion as well and more from James as well. We'll take a quick break and we'll be back just after these. Team 33. This is OTB Sports Radio. All right, so that is us done on this week's Team 33. Thanks to you, as ever, for listening. If you want to listen back to that podcast, you can get it in the OTB Podcast Network, which is in the OTB Sports app or wherever you get your podcasts as well. I think Spotify at the minute is the best place to get them because there's an issue with the iTunes feed, but that should be sorted by this time next week. We will be back again in the same slot, same time, same place next week. But until then, Ewa, Slangofoil, take away, Johan.